Hi everyone, Morgan here. Before the episode begins, oh, there's really in the background. Before the episode begins, um, wanted to give you guys a heads up that this episode deals with suicide and um, substance abuse. Um, so if you or a loved one are struggling with either one of those, we wanted to provide the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. And the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Hotline, which is 1-800-662-4357. These resources and others are also listed in our show notes. And as always, you know, if these are topics that you are not in the space to listen to right now, um, that's totally fine. Take care of yourself. Um, Thanks for listening. My father was East Tennessee Land of Home free Spent time as a kid Hills of Carolina Mountains and valleys there There's no place finer Still my time Keeps ticking away I'll just keep on living Hello, welcome back to episode two. Thank you guys for joining us again. It really means so much. Yeah, we, uh, Sarah is still with me visiting in DC. So that's been exciting. We've just been doing all the DC things, which means a lot of walking. And luckily Sarah's in a walking competition right now with her work. So she's winning. I am. I'm so excited. I love walking outside. It makes things so much less depressing than living in the county. Yeah. And also speaking of depressing, it's officially fall and it's been so fucking gloomy the last four days. The sun, the sun, I don't know where it's at. I guess it's on vacation or something. Maybe it has COVID. I don't know, but it, it's been so cloudy. And yeah. I'm like, the uh, earlier I looked at Sarah and I was like, what do we How do we keep the seasonal depression at bay? You don't. And I'm like, where is the sun? I'm visiting this beautiful city. I love this city. I love where Morgan lives. And there's absolutely no sunshine. So I'm just really glad that we're here together and we have each other. Yeah. Run through through the seasonal depression together. (laughs) Hey, at least we have really good food and beverage options. And you can walk to anything. So exactly. You good, Darcy? You know, er everything hinges on our dogs. They run our life. Mm -hmm. We think they're settled and we're going to be able to talk, but... uh it's questionable. Darcy's leaving her bed again. Relly's not in the podcast corner right now, um, or the podcast closet, I guess, as we'll call it right now. We'll see if he makes an appearance or cries at the, the blanket. I'm Sarah. I'm the older cousin. My dog is Darcy. She's the smallest dog. Oh, yeah. And I'm Morgan, the younger cousin. And my dog, Relly, is 75 pounds. He's a Mastiff mix. He's a giant. And Darcy's, what, five pounds? Maybe six. Maybe six pounds. She's she's a little rescue, for sure. They're a funny little combo. Yeah. So, today we are going to talk about rehab. Rehab. Shout out Amy Winehouse, RIP. They tried to make her go to rehab. Um, yeah, as, as y'all are going to hear, we're going to tell you about how fucking hard it is to uh, make someone go to rehab. You can't. Well, here's the thing. You can't make someone go. So once a person turns the age of 18, 
you can't make them do anything. It doesn't matter what health they're in, unless they're literally in front of like a physician or police officer threatening to harm another person or their self. No matter if they're sick from intravenous infections, it does not matter. They have to make the decision to sign themselves in. And if they're not in the space to do it, it's not going to happen anyways. Yeah. I guess the only caveat would be court-ordered rehab. Yeah. So if you if you break the law, <laughs> yeah, you might get court-ordered. But, you know, the thing about rehab is you see it on TV and you're like, oh, my God, well, I wish that person would just get help, wish they would go to rehab. And I don't think that most people know how hard it is to get into rehab. No. It's, first of all, it's like, first of all, it's an act of God to for an addict to say, I want to go to rehab. I mean, that's already like, truly, I'm not even being trying to be funny right now. Like that is a miracle. So as soon as they say, okay, I want to get help. I want to go to rehab. You think, great. We need to go right now. Yes, let's go. Like, let's get in the car. Well, the reality is that's not how it works. Mm -mm. Um, You've got to get that response and then you have to reach out to resources. And guess what? There's never any beds available. Yeah, like maybe in three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I can't wait that long. I can put this bitch in the car. And like my mother, and if I stop at a red light too long, she's going to jump out. Like, I want to take her her right now. She said she wants to go. But that's the reality. Um, There's a process. And also, it's a privilege. Not all insurance covers. The insurance is very limited. The majority of rehabs, again, I'm not an expert. Please call me out. But you're going to pay out of pocket a lot. And it's expensive. Very expensive. Yeah. And as we know with addiction, I mean, addiction rules the brain and an addict can say, a person struggling with addiction can say, yeah, you know, I want to get help. I want to go to rehab. And you're like, okay, great. So like, you know, you call them back the next day and that's their decision has changed. It's like, I mean, you could be on the way to rehab and in the car, they're like, no. It doesn't matter. And also you have to do this thing called detox. So some facilities offer detox. It's it's kind of rare to score one that does the detox and has a bed. So usually you have to go to a medical center and mm-hmm. go through detox. And then you're able to transfer out to a facility or get signed into a facility. So that is... Uh, the, the hard part of getting well and, and trying to care for someone that you love. And, you know, once they hit rock bottom, they have a few thoughts. Thoughts are fleeting. And the next thing you know, before you could even get them in somewhere, they're escaping back to life of addiction. Mm-hmm. So backing up to 2017, not too long after our grandfather committed suicide, my mother really started spiraling even more. You know, they close. He was also a co-user with her and she was going on benders, disappearing for days at a time, weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. My stepfather, who was an angel and and always wanted to help bring her back, you know, was, was going through a lot of turmoil during this time. And so she finally ran out of substance, which is what happens. And My father and I were able to have a conversation with her, and she agreed she wanted help. I was like, you've been through so much. Your father just passed away from suicide. That's trauma. You've been through trauma. Like, let's just try it. You've never tried it. Like, you're 55 years old. Let's see. Just Mm -hmm. see if it helps you. You don't know. You can't judge. 
Yeah. So I did all the work, calling insurance agencies, seeing where she would qualify. My dad and I went to interviews with facilities. They would interview her separately because family has nothing to do with getting you your help and signing you in. It's always a very private thing with the patient. And we finally found a facility. And wasn't that said facility literally like two states away? It was. Yeah. So again, like there's a lot of out-of-patient recoveries. Mm -hmm. Um, That is pretty common, but we were looking for an inpatient recovery center. And honestly, we also did kind of want her to not be in the area where she had resources. But also, that was the only one that her insurance would cover. So yeah, it was in Alabama. Yeah, And so she thought about it, talked about it, obviously was still actively using. And, you know, everyone's going about their life. And she had to she had to go through detox and I wasn't in town (laughs) (laughs) when this occurred. And somehow I was, I don't know why it's all such, that time is such a like blur, I guess. Um, But for whatever reason, that responsibility fell on me. And so I was in my car and went to pick her up and I was like, all right, pack your shit. We're going to the emergency room because you have to detox Um, and so, you know, I pull up to her house, I'm like, pack a bag, you know, we're going to the emergency room, get in the car. She's fucked up and fucked up as in, uh, she was very drunk that day, very intoxicated, which I was like, I guess I get it. You're about to detox. I might as well have one last little hoorah. (laughs) It's like 1 PM, you know, in the middle of the day. And so we get in my car and, uh, I think it was a miracle that I even got her in the car, but we, we got in the car and we're driving there. And of course she's like, and she's, she's always been very funny, but she's like, Oh fuck this Morgan. Turn around. I don't want to go. And I'm like, we're going. She's like, can I smoke a cigarette? And I'm like, no, you can't smoke a cigarette in my car. And she's like, just roll down the window, smoke a cigarette. I immediately child lock the windows. I'm like, okay, <laughs> no, sit still. It's a 15 minute drive. You're not smoking a cigarette in my car. We're not rolling down any, we're not creating any exits for this vehicle, <laughs> which means we're not even rolling down the window. Hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times. We're on a mission. So we managed to get to the hospital um, with, with no issues other than her complaining the whole time (laughs) i just had to turn up the music you know we park and whatever get out get there and i walk up to the front desk and i'm like hi um i'm here to uh to detox my aunt and the guy turns around who is the receptionist at the front desk and of fucking course it's someone i went to high school with (laughs) he's like oh morgan how are you? You remember me, you know, from high school. How How's it going? And I'm like, how do you think it's going? <laughs> it's in the middle of the day. I'm here with my aunt to detox her. Um, it's great. It's great to see you. Great to see you under these circumstances. Uh, first of all, first of all, who loves seeing anyone from their high school ever? No one ever. No, that's no. the worst scenario ever. But add that under these circumstances of, hey, great to see you. I'm here with my aunt to uh, to detox her. So he was like, OK, why are you here again? You know, and I have to, like, again, explain it because he was distracted because we knew each other. Uh, and he's like, OK, great. Well, uh, you'll just have to um, we're, we're pretty busy right now in the emergency room. So we'll try to get you a room. Of course, that room ends up being a, a bed in the hallway. <laughs> 
And I'm, of course, I'm out of town for work. Again, when all this happens with addiction and someone finally says yes, and you're like, okay, who can go get her immediately and take her? <laughs> like, we're still at work, like, trying to be normal human beings every day and dealing with this drama mm-hmm. and trauma <laughs> associated with addiction. So I'm play-by-play out of town on a business meeting with Morgan. Okay, well, what's going on now? <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, well, we're sitting in the hallway. They've connected her to a, a banana bag, which is what they call like a, a bag of like electrolytes, I think, um, to detox people who are detoxing from alcohol. Because again, she was very drunk. And we sat in that hallway for hours and she was not happy. She was screaming complaining, causing a scene, which already gives me immense anxiety on top of people from my high school (laughs) being employees at said emergency room. I'm like, oh my God. We were there for hours. And I think you you ended up coming that night Mm -hmm. from out of town. Yeah, I got back. Because she was able to be admitted into the hospitals. I don't know. Not in the emergency room anymore. Yeah. So, like, I guess most hospitals sort of have, like, a mental or psychiatric area. And, you know, usually it's no contact for a certain period of time with that person. So there is no giving them encouragement or anything like that. Like, they have to kind of go through it alone, typically. Yeah. At least that's how it is in Tennessee. Where they lo- yeah, they lose their phones, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No contact at all. And so, you know, they're... There's a several day process and when, you know, they feel their detox slash on new drugs that they give them, they get the option to try to sign their self in or commit their self or they're free to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there was a different program picked out that my father was trying to get her to in Alabama, again, waiting for a bed to open. So try to tell an addict, okay, just wait a few more minutes or a day, <laughs> like put it down. We're going to wait for this bed to open. You know, it, it's really a very difficult situation. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we, when like a bed opened up in the, in the hospital that night after being in the emergency room all day it was you and um your dad and all three of us like hugged her and said like you know we gave our encouragements we we said we love you whatever and then she had kind of had to like go back and that was emotional like that was really hard but we also had like hope so much hope yeah you go through so many times of having hope with someone who's an addict um someone that you love so many different waves of emotion. Um, and, and you want to believe in that hope and you want to believe in them and you want to believe that they want their life back. But it, again, it's always up to the individual to really take the assistance and, and be ready to recover. Because mm-hmm. addiction is a lifelong thing. You're never just not an addict. You're either in recovery or you're active. So so my my dad actually drove her to the rehab facility in Alabama. And, you know, I stayed in close contact with her as much as she was allowed to talk. Again, there's kind of like limited contact, especially the first week. I sent her boxes of makeup. Like until this point, she'd really gone downhill. She wasn't taking care of her hygiene. She wasn't wearing makeup. She just, you know, very much was bare bones living, you know, substance to substance. Mm -hmm. And she had an interest in, you know, A, wanting cigarettes, (laughs) you know, B, like wanting some makeup and and showed an interest in wanting to, you know, really take care of herself and, and look nicer. So I sent her lots of kits of makeup and 
notes and you know since we couldn't talk much I was trying to encourage her as much as possible but of course as she typically is after about two weeks it was I'm ready to leave Mm -hmm. you know I'm done I'm done you know and again you're you're responsible for how long you stay. You can sign yourself out at any time. Um, I think she wound up staying for almost four weeks. It was like 21 days, like bare minimum, however quickly she could get out and still have, you know, some insurance coverage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, dad and I loaded up and went and picked her up. And she was definitely smoking a lot of cigarettes. She was on other substances, I guess, to calm her and help her to like not withdrawal or seize, you know, but again, it's, it's, it's like barbiturates. It's like substances that they give them. And I just remember pulling up and her coming out and just seeing my dad light up, like all Mm. he wanted was his wife back. He loved her so much and addiction just, it steals our loved ones away. Like, I, it's, in a lot of instances in my personal experience, it's worse than losing someone for good. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's very painful. And so he was super excited. She looked good. She had dressed herself up. She had showered, put on her makeup. And he was just so tickled. This was the first time through all the years of addiction and, and trouble that she actually went to rehab. So we made a whole day of getting home. We actually like went to shops and we went shopping together and we had like a really nice meal together. And it just really Mm -hmm. felt like a new beginning. Like I felt like I had my mom back. My dad had the hope that he had his wife back. Like we were just on a cloud. It was amazing. Yeah. Which lasted about a day. Yeah. Yeah. Every time you get that hope, it like it makes it harder every time you lose it. Yeah. And, and it's usually a, a very, you know, repetitive cycle. So this was after rehab. Well, she disappeared for like three weeks after that. Mm-hmm. Apparently she met new friends in rehab. Yeah, that's the thing about rehab. <laughs> it connects you to new resources. Yeah, it's, it's like a, whole a new huddle, community. man. You get out and guess what? You have more friends and resources and, you know, addicts supporting addicts. It's. It doesn't work out very well. So she just disappeared for three weeks. So we're all on edge. We have no idea where she is, what she's doing. It was a very dark time. You know, it was, well, shit. Well, this didn't work either. Now she's gone, gone. And I was coming up on a trip that I would take annually for a conference in Chicago. And, you know, I was worried like, oh, my God, I want her to be back so that I feel good about traveling. I'm not abandoning my father. Well, she gets back. And it was very much, I fucked up. I want to do good. I want to get better. I even had a great call with her. She told me she wanted to do better. She knew she could. I had a call and included my child, who I often had to shield from her because of her habits and her company and her behaviors. And I felt really hopeful, like, okay, relapse is normal. We just had a relapse. She's back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's going to be okay. Back on track? Yeah. Wait, so did we find out where she was? She was staying with new people she had met in rehab? So she was connecting with people in rehab, but she was staying with people she'd stayed with before. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, okay. So, like, I'm flying out the next morning. I'm, I'm feeling good. 
feeling, you know, hopeful Mm -hmm. again. And I don't know what it is about the month of May, but I would go to this conference every May. And I remember standing in the airport multiple times where she was threatening to commit suicide on the phone with me. Mm -hmm. Like there were always these dips in her mental health every time I was on that exact same trip. So it's like, how do you act normal around your work peers and colleagues and you know your your customers when I'm literally in the terminal with all them around me on the phone with my mom trying to act as normal as possible while she's telling me she has a gun to her head like this is my reality because I am ashamed to share it I don't want to distract people I don't want to disturb people Mm -hmm. I don't want people to feel bad for me but of course the turmoil inside and the anxiety and the depression and the emotion is off the charts Yeah, you're like standing like 30 feet from your coworkers in the airport, like having this conversation with your mom and like smiling. Like everything's fine. You're like trying to pretend like, I'm good. I'm smiling. I'm just just talking to my mom. It's my mom. Yeah. You're like smiling while you're like, put the gun down. (laughs) You're being a selfish bitch. (laughs) I have gone through like every cycle of how I feel about suicide with her and all the talks I've had. I've tried every method. (laughs) I was just put it that way. (laughs) So this time I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good. Get there. She's missing. (laughs) Day one. Well, this is great. So I'm like, oh, she just probably went off for another bender. It'll be fine. Well, I go through that trip four days in. My mom is still missing. Um, At this point, my dad can't get a hold of her at all. He's driving around town looking for her. I'm talking to him every opportunity I get, comforting him. Again, does work? No, no, they don't. I am like undercover dealing with my crazy family trauma Mm -hmm. the best that I can while I'm trying to be a functioning professional. Like calling all the hospitals, like, hey, the jails, the hospitals. I've got like the 24-hour rest list on like favorites. Like I have all the resources. I've done this before. (laughs) And so I feel terrible for him. He's very alone in it. He's driving around looking for her. He can't find her. Um, At this point, I'm assuming she's dead. Because, you know, usually when she goes on a bender, you can at least get a hold of her and she'll make up some kind of lie. Well, this time it was just like dead. There was no communication whatsoever. And so I'm like trying to be normal, going to my work stuff. Four days in, I'm like accepting she's dead. I'm planning the funeral in my head because that's how my mind works. I have a lot of anxiety. And I finally get the call four days in. She's been found. And I I figured this was the your mom's dead call. Yeah. No, she was in a local county jail for those four days. She was incarcerated. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She had been arrested. That was probably her first arrest, right? It was her first arrest. Which is so funny because I think back to this time and I obviously do remember it. But I mean, I remember getting the calls of like, hey, your aunt is missing. And I mean, at that point, I was like, okay, like, yes, I care. And like, yes, I'm worried, but I'm by no means shocked. Number one. And number two, like, well, this is like just another day in the in the life. Keep me updated if you hear anything. Call me back. Talk to you later. <laughs> like, yeah, just not shocked at all. Yeah. These types of things become typical. Mm-hmm. And exactly. it's not until you actually try to tell someone new in your life about it that you realize how not normal it is. Yeah. You like casually <laughs> slip it in. You're like, oh, I just got off the phone. My aunt's missing. <laughs> Anyways, um, mimosas are Bloody Marys. And they're like, wait, what? Your aunt's missing? (laughs) What do you mean? We've both went through periods where our parents were missing. Yeah, they're like, that's not casual brunch conversation. And you're like, well, for me, it is. It'll be okay. So 
Um, my Nana, her mother had actually talked to her and she was in jail and she was very unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently what happened, you know, cause I had to go through all the court stuff. Her vehicle broke down in a county next to us and she was with friends from rehab and this was her big intro to meth. Um, mm-hmm. She'd really been an opiate queen um, and an alcohol queen her whole life. Probably a lot of coke. But this was, oh, welcome to meth. Well, they were in the bathroom doing meth while the cars broke down. And and by car broke down, I mean, like, they didn't, they, like, ran the oil out of it or something. It was ridiculous, you know? <laughs> and so these people at the convenience store called the police, as they should. Yeah. They, they're like, these people are loitering and on drugs. And so they come to check the scene out. And I guess my mom resisted arrest and was, like, combative. And so they decided to search. They found substances. And she got incarcerated. And... The bad part was she was on such a high all those days she was incarcerated that she had this whole story. Like she went on a trip <gasps> all by herself. Wait, I forgot about this. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. So I'm literally in Illinois. I'm finally heading home. And my Nana, her mother, is calling me and telling me, I can't believe you. (laughs) I'm like, what are you talking about? I can't believe you used drugs with your mother. She told me you were at that trailer. And I'm like, I I have no words. How would you even accuse me of something like this, first of all? Secondly, I've not even been in the state (laughs) all week. I've been gone. I'm in Illinois. (laughs) I had no part in this. Well, she told me that you and, like, named off my siblings and, like, all these people that in my mother's brain did drugs with her that week. It's like... I don't know what to tell you. Like, (laughs) we did it. This didn't happen. Just the fact that her mother's always looking for excuses to validate her behavior, escape the behavior, support the behavior. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you you need to calm down and think for a minute. Yeah. Quit accusing me of stuff. And so I finally get back and and mom gets kind of back into a sane state. And she's telling me that she's got a lawsuit because they beat her. They would take her back to a room with water on the floor and electrocute her. I mean, she had all of these stories about things that happened to her while she was in jail, which were all just a part of her hallucinating from being on meth for so many days and not sleeping. And I mean, she just, she was like, I have all these bruises all over me. And it's like, couldn't have been from it resisting arrest right like (laughs) they did that in the jail not when you were like resisting and being combative with the officers and so you know (laughs) I finally just told her I said all the things that you're talking about didn't happen they didn't happen like I don't know how else to explain this to you like you have hallucinated she sort of started to believe it but again she wanted to be victimized these Mm -hmm. people were terrible to her she did nothing it wasn't hers because she will not admit or take accountability for anything yeah anything which I mean I'm sure jail sucked and you know, we are not going to sit here and deny police brutality. That's very much a thing. Yeah. But I don't know how often middle-aged white women are brutalized by the police. So <laughs> we'll just throw that out there. Yeah. I, uh, considering one of the charges was resisting arrest, I would <laughs> say yeah. that. It's probably safe to say that um, she caused some of that, uh, the bruising <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to herself. And so... Who billed her out? Oh, it was um, 
Well, it was either your dad, my mom, or I our grandmother. I can't remember who did it. They've all taken turns in bailing her out. I don't remember who bailed her out that first. I, pro- I think it was my mom. I think it was, too. Yeah, I think it was. I think me and my dad were so pissed that, A, she was alive. We were thankful yet pissed. And B, that she had done gotten herself into this situation. I was like, Dad, I was like, the safest place she could be right now is incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Let her stay. Yeah. Let her stay till her arraignment. I don't care what she says. Well, Morgan's mother is her big sister. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know. It's it's hard. Like obviously, nothing in life is is black and, and white. There's a lot of gray area. Life is gray area. I'm sure she was devastated at the thought of her little sister being in jail. That's totally valid. But they tend to have very different views on enabling addiction than we do. And I was totally in agreement. Like the safest place she can be is in jail. Unfortunately. Yeah, like let her learn her lesson, let her stay sober a little bit because she's killing herself outside. Um, But also my mother is great at being a victim and making you feel sorry for her. She's really good at it. She'll pull all the stunts and she's really really good at being very childlike and pitiful oh my goodness she is the best she'll make you do anything at the heartstrings she does very intelligent so you know she gets home and i mean ultimately thank god for privilege because Mm -hmm. that woman didn't serve another day she was charged Mm -hmm. with possession of meth which had already been elevated um as a charge in the state of tennessee at that time um because they're really trying to you know cut down on you know everything that's happening with meth and and that whole epidemic and we went through court hearing and court hearing she got diversion because she'd never been in trouble before which means she kind of got to pull that diversion card and got um basically 12 months of um unsupervised unsupervised probation probation what's that word probation probation unsupervised probation which is wild nothing she got out with time served even with the resisting arrest charge and just had to not get in trouble for the next 12 months because let me tell you that i don't know what unsupervised probation is other than you paying them money but at this county there was no check-in there was no case manager no fucking drug test there were no drug tests which is crazy there was zero requirements because she definitely fell on off the wagon big time during those 12 months and my father and i called and we were like does she need to be drug tested like she's out here doing this again like are you guys gonna do anything but the reality is no it was just a slap on the wrist yeah Yeah. Our judicial system, I mean, there's a lot of issues with our judicial system in the United States that could be a whole, you know, many hour conversation. Um, How it handles addiction is unhelpful, Mm -hmm. to say the least. I mean, I guess how we handle addiction in this country in general is not helpful. Yeah. Because it's just like, other than just making money, mm-hmm. you guys aren't helping the person who is suffering with addiction. Yeah. I mean, the the hard part just from my personal experience is there's not access to rehab mm-hmm. and recovery. Um, the programs that they have, ma- the majority of them are not helpful. And this is a lifelong condition. And you can transition to out of patient, but a lot of times the needs aren't being met. Yeah. And then you know, the charges with drugs, like there's so many people that are incarcerated for 
decades over simply drug charges. And I say simply, it's terrible, but basically these people are addicts. They're not being violent. They're not usually, you know, taking things from people. Mm -hmm. They're literally using drugs and getting caught with possession. And then they just sit in jail and they never get rehabilitated. They Mm -hmm. never get help for their addiction. They just spend time in our system and come back out and start the whole process over again. We do not recover people. No. And and once you're in the system, it's impossible to get out of the system and to not just essentially stay in the loop of being in the system, especially because getting out of the system pretty much requires having some kind of monetary privilege. And if you don't, then you're just constantly stuck. Yeah. So, you know, not dissing rehab. It definitely has its purpose. It definitely helps people. There are lots of success stories. Just if you have a loved one you're trying to help, do your research, figure it out ahead of time (laughs) before you start conversations because it is a process. Yeah. Have that shit ready to go even before the person says, I want to go to rehab. Yes. But then again, it's like, I mean, I say that, but it's also like, wow, that's a lot of effort to put into something that hinges on another adult's decision. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's not the best. Yeah. If you're working harder than the addict to get the addict recovered, it's probably not going to be successful. Yeah. Or worth your time. No. Yeah. I don't know. I would love to hear how other people have have dealt with rehab and success stories or or unsuccessful stories in terms of, you know, someone saying, yeah, I'll, I'll go to rehab and then calling the rehab facility. First of all, can we talk about dealing with insurance in general? Because <laughs> rehab or not, I don't, but one, I don't fully understand how insurance works. And two, it's not easy to deal with no. at all. I'm like, I'm just trying to schedule a fucking physical. (laughs) Who takes my insurance? Where do I find them? Like what? Yeah. Morgan just went through this actually with her provider, her carrier, and it it is hard. It's a headache. They don't make it easy. Yeah. And I feel like I'm pretty smart. (laughs) Yes. You do have to call and talk to them first and let them give you a list and then try your best to shop around from there. Mm -hmm. But Usually it's um it's never fully covered unless it's something that's, you know, ordered by the court system. Yeah. Then you still actually usually pay. <laughs> Don't even get me into halfway homes in the cost. Oh my god, seriously. It's all just like a biz it's a money making scheme, essentially. For profit. It is for profit. I mean, there are entities that profit off people being yeah. incarcerated, being in the system and and trying to recover from addiction. Yeah, look, just down the street from my home that I grew up in, there is a halfway house with 25 beds and all of them pay like $450 a month. Let me just rent out some stuff. Or how about, can I can I sell Raymond noodles to the gels for $2 a pack? Like, yeah. Let's go down that path. It's, it is pretty disgusting. But yeah, we would love to hear from you. Love to hear from, you know, your stories, advice, um, you know, things that have worked well things that we can share with our community so that those that are going through this aren't so lost because it's a really difficult process. Yeah. Like if we missed something and like it actually is easier (laughs) than what we've experienced, we would love to know that. Um, Because I mean, sadly, you know, my aunt Sarah's mom, uh, rehab definitely never took. And we, I mean, she's, she's just the worst she's ever been in terms of her addiction, which which sucks. Um, and I was going to mention earlier, I remember the times that she was in rehab because it was twice, right? 
Or was it just the once? She's gone through detox multiple times, but never oh. made it to rehab except okay. for the one time. Gotcha. Yeah. I just remember like, you know, living away from my family because I'm, I'm always the one who's who's lived away and feeling the need to call her every day and encourage her to be like, hey, I'm so proud of you. You know, like, we, you know, you got to get better. I love you so much, whatever. And if I like was like with friends or like out and it got like late and I forgot to call her, I would be like, oh, shit. And in my mind, like she was not going to recover if I didn't call and yeah, encourage her. Like I felt we responsible. Have we have yeah. that responsibility on our shoulders, that guilt, you know, we feel that you know, we have to put all of that effort into these people that we love that, you know, have done things that's caused trauma in our lives. We feel responsible for them. Mm-hmm. It is a very toxic thing. Yes. I I met with a new therapist this last week, and, which is very exciting. And you'll hear us say it a zillion trillion times, but therapy is a privilege. And I am unfortunately not using my insurance and paying more than I would like to be paying. But nonetheless, I am with a new therapist. So very excited. Um, And the, the big thing she made me do in our session was literally write down, I am not responsible for other people's well-being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, you have to say this affirmation every day. Um, I hope it helps because it's easy to say that. But getting those feelings deep down, ugh. Yeah, it is so hard to get past that guilt and responsibility Mm -hmm. and uh, love therapy, love therapist. You guys are angels. I am looking for a new um, like counseling therapist. So if y'all have recommendations, (laughs) please let me know. Please make sure it's not someone that will ask me if I talk about it too much while I'm actively going through trauma with my (laughs) mother who is presently in the hospital because of her addiction today (laughs) not when I was 10 that happened too though um you know my child has some unique needs and he has like six therapists I am all about getting some help um to support mental health and, and being healthy so again if anybody has recommendations please let me know yeah yeah and again we would just love to hear your rehab stories whether they were successful or not successful, or both, because, again, there's a lot of gray area there. Absolutely. Well, hey, we want to hear from you. You you guys can email us at... FamilyTraumaPod at gmail.com. And we would love to hear your stories. We'd love to hear from more of you, your stories, reaching out, suggestions, corrections. That would be great. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of corrections from this episode. Actually. <laughs> Please correct us. We, we need to learn. Yeah, this is from our personal experiences. But uh, we've been through the ringer a few times mm-hmm. with our loved ones. And it's it's really difficult. Also, filing a missing persons report is not easy either. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's watched the news lately or anything. But... <laughs> It's really difficult to have that uh, meet all the the stipulations when an adult goes missing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, I'm going to knock on wood. Hopefully, we don't have to file any more of those. Yeah. We hope not. But uh, the, the, the day is young. The, the unknown is, young. is the worst. <laughs> I wish I knew. I wish we knew. <laughs> All right. Thanks for hanging with us, guys. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We will talk to you next week. Um, Email us. Go talk. Go DM us on Instagram or Twitter at Family Trauma Pod. And uh, thanks for listening. We love you. Have a great week. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.